All right. Thank you, then. Front row, Drew Creasy, you're pumped, you're excited. I love it. Marie, back there, thank you. You guys rock. Um, we're going to have a great time this morning. I'm going to be sharing with you some things about the words, I drift. Now, the first week, we talked um, about I want. We talked about all of our wants. The second week, we talked. About, it was Father's Day, and we talked about I father. And we talked about how the dad can be a bit of a caveman, but we want to turn him into God's man, right? And it's, I can obviously see that hasn't happened yet with many of the dads. So it was really good to see that word change lives. But uh, no, this week, that's right. This week, we're talking about I drift. And what I want to get across to you today is that it is easy to spiritually drift. It's easy to find yourself drifting. And uh, we have our song each and every time that we come during the, during the iTunes month. We have a song that we take. So our theme song for today, would you crank that up? Let's rock out to that. Many of you Set know this song. Oh, yeah. This is old school now. Get ready. This is old school. Anybody know it? Thank you for dating yourselves. Free to face a life that's ahead of me. I'm Lord, I'm the captain. Listen to the words. So, so climb aboard. Yeah, you can get your cell phones up. Let's start waving them things we'll around. Might as well give this a concert type atmosphere. And every show. I like this part. And I'll try. Even gets kind of spiritual there, doesn't it? Okay, we can kill that. Well, you know what? I just keep bringing it back up. I just killed it right before the climax. It's too late, isn't it? Okay, now you gotta sing it with me since we're this far into it. Longest interlude I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it goes back into the second verse. Okay, kill it, kill it. We tried. We tried. I'm sailing away. Now listen. Styx wrote a song called Come Sail Away With Me. Many of you understand about sailing that it's important when you sail to have good wind and also a udder in the back that steers you into the direction that you need to go. Each and every one of us in our lives have been equipped with a compass. God has given us the direction that we need. And it's easy to lose direction. It's easy to spiritually drift and it's easy to find yourself in that big ocean and in that big sea of life wondering if God is showing up in your life at all, isn't it? It's easy to wonder if you have your bearings. It's easy to wonder if you're not, you know, many of us wonder why we're not feeling God the way that we used to feel God. And the reason some of you feel so distant from God this morning is that you have tried so hard to be good. You've tried so hard to do all of the right things, and yet you still wonder why you cannot feel his presence, or you still wonder why you're spiritually drifting. So I want to share with you five basic principles this morning, five quick principles that will help us in understanding why we spiritually drift. Drift factor number one, limited vision. 
Many times we drift because we have limited vision. We need a vision beyond just being good. Many people that come to Christ, many people that enter into the church house are trained that they must be good. They're trained that they have to make sure and keep themselves inside of the lines and to make sure that they obey all of the laws and obey all of the religion and to be sure not to commit any sin, not to drink too many beers, not to do these things that is going to cause God to come down on you. Be good. And many times that is the limited vision that we have of God. But God doesn't want you just to be good. God has designed you to be great. He has designed you to be far more than just the guy that follows all of the rules. I don't know about you, but I can't live up to all of those rules. I'm not a perfect person. And if all that I have is a vision for being good, then I'm going to be found wanting. I'm going to be lost. I'm going to find myself drifting spiritually. And you know what happens? We get on this perpetual teeter-totter. If it's only about being good, then when we're doing good, we're up. But when we're doing bad, we're down. And we're just going up and we're going down. And we're going up and we're going down because we live our Christian life based on just being good. God is better than just good. God is bigger than just good. And, you know, it's funny. Even those friends I have had of mine that have been in church all of their life, all of their life in organizational church, they start looking the same. They start acting the same. It's like a bad scene from Star Trek. I mean, they wear the same outfits. They speak the same language. Churches that have been churches for a very long time find themselves in traditional ruts because they are attempting to follow good. God has not called you to be good. He has called you to be great. We are not saved by works. We are saved by the grace of God. And there is a difference in being good for God and being great in God. There is a difference in being good just for God and then stepping into being great in God. Grace is being great in God. Good only lasts for a season, but grace is your purpose and it is your destiny. That is why a lot of people think that churches have a lot of hypocrites in it, isn't it? Because churches tend to try to mold people into being good, not great. That's why the world out there looks at the word church and looks at at what we do on the inside of these walls as sometimes hypocritical because we're always trying to prove to them how good we are. Well, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to prove to them out there that that is what I am, and that is a very noble cause. Here's the problem. At what point does the cause take you over and you're so busy trying to validate the goodness that you forget the greatness that God has destined you for? Well, I'm going to show them what I'm all about. I'm going to show them that I'm a Christian. I'm going to prove to them who I am. Maybe they just want you to understand who they are. Maybe there is a greatness that goes beyond just the limited vision of being good. And here's what happens. 
Sometimes church people will try and manipulate you or to conform you into what they are. They will try to get you to behave like they are. And and tactics are used like guilt and fear. And it causes you to find yourself drifting and oppressed because you can never be good enough. God has not created the church to just raise the standard of good. He wants the church to be great. How do we be great? We obey God. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. There is a scripture in the Bible that says that if we are obedient unto the Lord, what does that mean? That means if God speaks to your heart, listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And God wants to minister to you in a special way. My father has this amazing church in in Jefferson City, Missouri. They run about a thousand people. They're booming. They're rocking. And, um, And he... He tells a story of his very first church that he pastored, which is right here in Imperial, Missouri. His very first church. Isn't that interesting? And here we are in the same territory that he was in 25, 30 years ago. And he talks, and my dad is a very wise man, a great minister, great preacher, anointed man of God. Now in the tenure of his life, he admits that he doesn't have it figured out. But there's a lot of wisdom that he carries. And he makes good decisions. He's not like me. Okay, he he does things well because in the tenure of his life and in the process of his life, he has learned that good is not good enough, but great is understanding to follow God and believe in God. He started his first church, and he tells a story of how that that church in Imperial, Missouri had 80 people. And as a young minister of 19 years old, he was planning on teaching those people how to be good. And he tells that he only had two sermons that he could preach. So he took the church, he had two sermons, and he was going to teach those two sermons. One of them was to teach people not to drink beer. That was his sermon. He said that was it. Drinking beer is a sin. I'm going to teach you how to be good. The second was he wanted to teach them not to go to the movies. Are you serious? This is true. But he explains that in his misunderstanding and his lack of knowledge of who God was, he wanted to teach people to be good. So he said in six months, he dwindled 80 people down to seven. Six months time. A great success story there for the big mega church pastor. (laughs) He said, but the cool thing about that was none of them smoked or none of them went to the movies, none of them drank. So there was total unity. That's what you call one mind and one accord. It's about more than being good. Many of us are like Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway. In our efforts to be good, we are wanting to do things that will not and cannot save us. Tom Hanks developed a relationship with a volleyball in Castaway, and he called that volleyball Mr. Wilson. And when he finally got off of that island and he was drifting in the ocean... Mr. Wilson got away from him. He put his own life in danger, his own salvation in danger to try to go after a volleyball, thinking that it was going to make a difference in his life. He drifted away from his core values. Many times we're wanting Mr. Wilson type things and it's drawing us away from the vision of being great for God. God wants us to be great. God wants us to step into that. 
Limited vision will cause you to settle for good. And when you settle for good, I can promise you this, you will drift. Your vision for God is limited. I had a basketball coach in eighth grade, and he knew how to motivate. He knew how to cast vision. I was in eighth, uh, I was in eighth grade, and my coach said that I would shoot from the locker room. I took about 60 shots a game. It really didn't matter what was going on on the floor. If I got the ball, it was being launched. That's just what I did. <laughs> Not a very good team player at that particular time. But, but he would challenge us, and here's what he would do. A very inspirational man in my life. He would, for the first month of practice, we wouldn't touch a basketball. We would run and run and run again. We would do things like killers. You guys know what a killer is? Oh, man, anybody that's an athlete, you start at this part of the line, you touch that one, go back, touch that one, go back, touch that one, go back, and you run your legs off. He would have us run bleachers, and he would tell us to get a vision in our head as we were working our butts off about that first game. He'd say, Tom, get a vision for when you're launching that 25-footer. And he would cast vision for me in my life and help me to understand that there was something bigger, something bigger than just the practice and the exercise. There was something bigger than just going through the motions. It was bigger than that. Discipline. On the other side of discipline is victory, isn't it? And if we can learn that God wants us to do more than just be good and get a bigger vision, he'll do some amazing, amazing things in our life. Drift factor number two. The last no, and I'm going to explain that. The last no, when you say no to God, when he has spoken to you, you can find yourself standing at the dead end of your disobedience. When you say no to God and he has spoken to you, you will find yourself standing at the dead end of your disobedience. Some of you have not heard from God, felt God, or spoken to God in a very long time. Sometimes we go through the motions of church. Sometimes we go through the motions of just living religious lives. Sometimes we begin to wonder, why am I not feeling God the way that I used to feel God? Why am I not supercharged the way that I once was when I first came to God? Why am I just drifting through life? And things are feeling meaningless unto me. I want to challenge you with something. I would bet that you can trace your feelings back to the last time you said no to God. Because the last time you said no to God, scripturally can be considered a direct act of disobedience. Well, Tom, does that mean I'm not going to make heaven? No, God doesn't judge you based on your sin. God wants your heart. He wants you to commit to follow him, even if you don't have all the answers, even if it's not all figured out for you. How does God speak to you? How does God speak to you in here? Many of us wonder that question, don't we? Still small voice? Through situations and circumstances? Through the spoken word? What you're hearing this morning? Is that not God speaking to your life? Is that not God opening up your mind and your heart? And many times right here in these 
in this auditorium. I've asked you to raise your hand at the end of a service. Many of you have been inspired. You've raised your hand. No one was looking around, right? And then after service is over with, I ask many of you that have raised your hand to come up into a huddle time and to join us in a huddle time where we are going to take the next steps of the commitment that you made. And many of us walk out the door. The last time you said no, God is a God that wants us to obey and follow him with our heart. Will there be people crawling into heaven with sin in their life? If they are obedient unto God, they're going to make it. If you are obedient unto God, you are going to make it because God looks at your heart. When was the last time that you said no? You are going to feel left out. You're going to not be progressing. You're going to find yourself just kind of standing still. In Mark chapter 10, there was a rich young ruler, and he did everything that was good. He came to Christ. Jesus was walking, and he came up, and first of all, he knelt before the Lord. It was amazing. And he said, God, he, he said, Jesus, I have done everything that was good. Jesus said, did you keep the commandments? Yes, I did. I did everything that I am supposed to do religiously. And then Jesus said, then what I want you to do is I want you to sell everything that you have and I want you to follow me. And Jesus was just wanting the man's obedience. But this young man could not give Jesus that. So he said no to God. I don't know what Christ is asking from you each and every week that you come in and out of here because I'm not a fortune teller. That is between you and God. But I do know that if you have said no to him, to go back, find yourself. And the last time you said no, fix it. Repent of it. Change. Go back and God will completely erase and give you back all of the time that you have felt like you were spiritually drifting. The last time you said no. Anybody ever seen the movie Evan Almighty? Evan Almighty. That's a pretty cool flick, right? Evan Baxter, a congressman who finds himself in the public eye, and he has made his way to Washington, D.C., to Congress, and he's going to do everything in his power to put forth the best image, the perfect image, and he prays to God, God, I want you to change the world. That's what I want to do. I want to change the world. But Evan Baxter's definition of change and God's definition of change were two different things. Two entirely different things. So God begins to mold and to shape and to get Evan Baxter to understand. And it's the obedience of Evan Baxter. He fought him all the way through. But because of his obedience, he conquered. Because of his obedience, he persevered. And that is a very important principle that you have to understand. Obedience is better than being good. Tom, how do I be great? You obey God. It's that simple. It's not religious. It's not pie in the sky. It's not me selling you something. You obey God. That's how you be great. That's how you go from good to great. You follow God with your heart, not with religion. You decide that you're going to Walk this journey of faith and do it for God. So go back to the last time you said no. 
And God is going to do something special in your life, I guarantee you. Um, drift factor number three, the little things. It's the little things that can cause us to drift spiritually. And I'm going to wrap up here in about five minutes. The little things can cause us to drift spiritually in our lives. My wife and I love to vacation. This is the year that we get to vacation, and we are pumped, man. We're going to Florida. We're going to sit on that beach. And when my wife and I vacation, we have two. Well, we just set goals for ourselves, don't we? We set major goals for ourselves, and the goals are to sleep and to eat. That's the goals. Anything else on vacation must be eradicated and removed from the schedule no matter what. We sleep and we eat. And my number one goal is to create more times for meals. That's what we do on vacation. Am I right? We create more times to eat. The problem with vacation is that the notches on the belt when I get home have to be changed just a little bit. And I find myself coming home from vacation. I leave a 32, come home a 36. There's been some expansion that has happened, and I'm wondering why. And I've got the steak knife out in the kitchen, and I'm drilling me a new hole in my belt to release. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. It happens one bite at a time, right? I mean, that's how we tend to expand in that area, one bite at a time. It's similar to how that we can spiritually drift, one agreement at a time, one small decision at a time, one situation at a time. And before long, we have compromised ourselves and we find ourselves drifting away from God. It is the little things. That can cause us to drift from God. It is the little things that can come into our life and distract us. I see parents pulling their kids out of church for all kinds of different things nowadays. Because the culture has gotten so busy that schools schedule things on Sundays. Little things. You would have never seen that 30 years ago. But now, Sunday is just another day. So what do we do to release the pressure of our busy schedules as families? We just loosen the knot on the belt just a little bit and create a release. The little things. Families are busy, so we do not have time to have dinners at the table anymore, do we? Yes, Every one of you, yes, I'm admitting it right now. Yes, I am a compassionate, spiritual conservative. Yes, don't be fooled. We live by the word of God. Families should have dinners together. They should value one another. They should pray with one another. These activities should happen in the home, but because we get so busy, we unloosen the notch in the spiritual belt just a little bit, don't we, guys? And we just we say, well, we'll get it another day, so we release the tension. Because life's busy. The little things. The Bible says it's the little foxes that will come in and they will spoil the vine. In one agreement at a time, we tend to compromise. Man, we miss it. I'm telling you right now, we miss it. 
We set ourselves up. Uh, think of your workout routine. We set ourselves up for failure every time. I get excited to go work out. I get excited to lose weight. I get excited to bust that 36 back down to a 32. And don't you guys, don't, don't none of you in here, hey, losing weight is losing weight. It doesn't matter what size you are. If, you, if you're comfortable at a certain weight, that's what you're comfortable at. That's just the way that it is, right? We're all together in this. So I get, I, I get where I want to drop some weight, and I set up this schedule that not even Lance Armstrong could, could follow through with. I get fired up. I get emotional. I get charged. I'm like, honey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. This is going to be. And man, the first day I'm fired up, I am hitting it. Second day, I begin to compromise just a little bit. And I find myself setting up a schedule that not even I can come up with. Not even, not, I, can't, I can't push it through. I should have said not even Lance Armstrong, not I. But the little things, and here's what happens. The might as well mechanism kicks in. Well, I might as well give up, right? I mean, I tried to do it. I couldn't do it. I'm a failure, so I might as well give up. And the little things begin to come in. And then Satan comes into your mind, and he begins to define those little things. He begins to control them, and you find yourself drifting away from God, not experiencing how great you can be. Drift factor number four, no team. No team, and I am hurrying. I want to get these in. Many people drift because they have gotten away from the home team. I'm sorry, but it is not just Jesus in me, and that is not my experience. It is Jesus and we, my team, my community, my church, you guys are an inspiration unto me each and every Sunday you come in and out of here because I'm a part of your team. I am inspired by what you do. I am excited to be a part of your life. I choose not to isolate myself, but I choose to get into this adventure we call life with other people. Will I be let down? Yes. Will I let you down? Yes. I'm not perfect. No perfect people allowed, and that includes pastors. Are we going to make mistakes at SOS? Yes. But if we are committed to be a team, and if we are committed to one another, that no matter what our personalities, whether we're quiet, whether we're loud, whether we're crazy, whether we're funny, whether we're not, and if we commit not to compare ourselves to one another, but to be a team together, each and every one of you add to the recipe that is called SOS Church. And we are going to bake a cake in the South County in St. Louis area, I'm telling you. We are going to get up in their kitchen, and we are going to bake a cake. And it's going to be a very interesting cake that is filled with many different types of ingredients. Why? Because one thing that we all have in common is that we need each other. And that we are all trying to survive together. So let's just drop the spiritual stuff and the perfection stuff. And let's come to the understanding that that is our common bond together. You need team. It cannot be Jesus in you. It has to be Jesus in a team. That's why we do micro-missions projects. Don Showers, um, 
I got to know Don a little bit over this weekend, and I didn't mean to call him out, but man, I was inspired, Don, by, by you this weekend. We went down into the city. We told you last week we did a micro missions, and we just served our butts off from Wednesday to Saturday, and we made a difference in the lives of some teenagers, and we helped an organization for, for, for three days in there, and we served concessions for free. We didn't take a dime from any of it. And, and many of you came down. Jesse Lee was very, you were inspiring. Jamie and Pam Mullins. We, and I, if I try to name all of you guys, but we went down there and we made a difference. We're a team. We're together. You can't do it without team. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow brings death. Drift factor number five, sour guilt. Sour guilt. How many has left milk sitting on the table for too long? It gets pretty gnarly. It becomes sour. It becomes nasty. You don't want to deal with it. That's what happens when you allow the guilt in your life to remain in your life. Never let the church tell you that guilt is bad because guilt is good. It was given to us by God so that we would understand that God might be displeased with us at some point in our life because of the decisions that we're making. If you have no guilt, you'll never understand that there might be a separation between you and God. Does that make sense? If there is no guilt, there is no indicator in your spirit or in your conscience that you might be doing something wrong. That's God telling you to fix it. But if you allow that guilt, just like milk that sets out, if you allow that guilt to remain and the indicator light stays on and it says, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. It builds up and it gets sour in your spirit and it causes you to have a bad attitude. It causes you to blame everyone else but yourself for the life circumstances that you are in. It becomes sour and it will sour up your life. Guilt is good if it is repented of quickly. It is very bad for you if you hold on to it and you carry it and you allow it to sour up in your life. God has built guilt in your life. It's called the Holy Spirit and it gives you a conscience and you know what is right and what is wrong. And if you will just trust and repent when you feel you're doing wrong, I promise you, your navigation of being a Christ follower will, will improve. It will improve. I guarantee you that. So stand to your feet. I want to recap this real quick. Number one, limited vision. Limited vision. Please get a vision for greater things than just good. It's important that you follow God. Number two, please go back to your last time you said no to God because that is where your victory is at. If you have said no to God, go back to that time and recommit to Christ. Recommit to God. And I promise you this, God will show up in your life in a very special way. Number three, the little things. Pay attention to the little things in your life. Stop loosening the belt, but allow God to begin to come in and help you to spot those little things that might be causing you to spiritually drift in your life.
Because that is what's causing you your pain. That's what's causing you your trouble. That's what will cost you your destiny and your future in God. Number four, be a part of a team. Life groups, please get involved in a life group. We are a life group church. We meet on the weekends, but we are a life group church. Get connected with people all around you. And, and, and be vulnerable and trust one another. No perfect people allowed. You can trust the people around you to encourage you and to lift you up. You can trust them with information. You can trust them so that they can help you. That's why we're here. Be a part of a team. And number five, sour guilt. If there's guilt in your life, please, please repent. If you're feeling guilty, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about disobedience to God. If God is speaking to your heart and you're saying, no, you're going to feel guilty. And if that is the case, repent and God will restore it right back to you right now. He can do it right now. So everybody close your eyes real quick. If this is you, and if you're saying, Tom, I have spiritually drifted. I'm finding myself drifting. I want you to raise your hand right now because I want to pray with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, every one of you. Now, here's what I want to do. Um, we're going to pray, but when you guys, when we close today, I would like to speak with, with each and every one of you that raised your hand. Don't walk out of here, but meet me right over to the right side of this auditorium. And I want to have a huddle time with you. A huddle time is just me doing with you what my coach did to me in the eighth grade, encouraging you and praying with you. So please don't say no to that. Meet me right up here, and we're going to have a challenging time together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, we love you. We thank you. We ask that each and every person here today that they received and understood what you were trying to do in this place. We do not want to drift spiritually because you have created each and every one of us with a purpose and with a destiny. We have a DNA that, that you created inside of us, and I pray that you inspire each and every person to live up to their full potential. I don't want to be good. I want to be great for you. And I thank you for what you have shared with us today, Father. Bless us in your name. And everybody said yes.